Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. Uh, we are speaking to you from the midst of the London Film Festival. Uh, we are up and about and trying to cover as many films as we can so that we can bring you as many interviews as we can onto this podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham and joining me is Sam Howlett. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm alright. Um, it's normal to watch five films a day and wake up knowing your eyes are slightly more rectangular it's not normal it's not it's not no it what? doesn't feel normal oh <laughs> uh, well i'm struggling to think what uh natural light looks like yeah. <laughs> all right um but as as i said yeah we've we've been watching a lot and we're, we've got loads of interviews that i think we're really excited to bring yeah we've been doing an interview almost every day sometimes two a day yeah so lots yeah. of good stuff to look forward to uh coming up in the next few months then in, even into the new year mm. as well yeah and um, there's been some amazing highlights that we're going to do a like we did last year and we, like we did after berlin we're going to do a roundup episode yeah. um so make sure you listen to that that'll be coming out soon uh but there's like at the moment there's lots of highlights that we've had i think you just saw the shape of water yesterday yeah which is amazing for me it's um bp 120 bpm has been my highlight as well but there's been so much when it's when you've got 10 days and you're doing that many films a day it's it's going to be tough to, to pick your favorite yeah and yeah. To, to remember what you've seen as well yeah that is a thing like, i had a guy come up to me and just we were just chatting and i was like oh what you've been doing i said oh well, i've been watching a lot of stuff i've been doing recording loads of interviews for the podcast i was like oh yeah who have you spoken to it's like oh <laughs> oh I, I can't remember I can't remember any of it I anymore. No. <laughs> All right. Um, so to today we're going to talk very briefly about uh, Sally Potter's new film, The Party, which is out this week. Um, and we, we, you spoke to her. I did speak to her. I also spoke to Bruno Gans, who plays Gottfried in the film. Uh, so those two, I spoke to them together. And um, as well as Sally Potter and Bruno Gans, we've got another interview uh, with Thomas Alfredson who has directed The Snowman, which is out this week. Uh, you would know him as the director as Let the Right One In and Tinker Taylor Soldier mm-hmm. Spy. Uh, so pretty impressive film. So we're excited to bring him onto the show as well. So hopefully having three guests who are actually famous probably makes up for the fact that you don't get us chatting and waffling on. I think so. Yeah, I think it more than makes up for it. Yeah, I think people would prefer this every week. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Um, so yeah. So a uh, quick chat about the party then. Yeah. This this may be bad. Um, the thing with the party is, you tell anyone that the film you're going to watch is seventy four minutes long, yeah. they're going to be up for it. It's a great length, isn't it? Yeah. It's a really good length. And when I found out, I was even more up for it. Particularly amongst the festival as well. Yeah, because we were watching four four or five films a day. So it was a nice treat to have one that wasn't going to keep you in your seat for three hours. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, And it's really sharp. It's really brisk. um, It gets right into it. It's... It's got that um, chamber PC play feel to yep. it. Uh, you, you wouldn't, you could easily see this almost being like a Harold Pinter or something. Very much so. And the, the length thing, it doesn't feel rushed ever. It feels like it, it is that length because it needs to be that length. It's not like, I don't, you know. And as you can tell from the interview, she didn't like challenge herself to make a shorter film. It was just this is the length that suited the film. Yeah. Um, so so the party is about a shadow minister Janet Janet played by Kristen Scott Thomas who has just become the leader of the party or no it's no? the um shadow health minister right okay for um the opposition party who's never named but we can very easily guess which party it is because of the very left wing liberal thinking going on yeah i mean by the guests at this party there are some opinions that get brought up about the health yeah health care and health service yeah. that would imply who it is um and so she's just got this position and she invites her friends around and um, her husband she invites her husband, she invites around. Her husband <laughs> around from upstairs <laughs> uh to to have a party and you've got a pretty um pretty eclectic cast really amazingly assembled yeah so timothy spool is her husband bill uh bruno gans as we mentioned is Gottfried, and he is the partner of patricia, patricia Clark. clarkson who is janet's friend yeah and then you also have cherry jones who was bill's friend from uni yeah and her partner emily mortimer yeah and then killian murphy killian murphy as he's i think he's just a of just friend. A sort of friend he's well he's the partner husband yes he's the husband of Marianne who is Bill's student yes former student or something I think that's the connection yeah but um it sounds labyrinthine but it's, it's not. not I mean the relationships aren't that hugely important yeah in a way it's quite cluedo it's just yeah. a lot of people have been it thrown does, into it really room. matter what, how they know each other yeah um yeah Killian Murphy's you know this kind of bull in a china shop they just kind of Mm. shows up uh, without Marianne importantly yeah um, so yeah should we break down the characters individually a bit more yeah I suppose that's a uh, yeah good way yeah. of doing it um, so we've got Kristen Scott Thomas is kind of the glue she's the link between everyone yeah and she's she's very much put together it's her party she's making sure she's doing all the cooking she's making sure everyone's having a good time yeah and, and then, I think it's implied well I think they kind of explicitly say that this is another step on the ladder to ultimate power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, like, the complete opposite to her is her husband, Bill, mm. who is just uh, almost comatose, sitting in a chair, drinking, <clears throat> excuse me, constantly sort of changing the music. Um, which which is something that initially is a bit annoying, that it spends so much time watching him change the music. But then, but then it really... a long-running joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And then uh, Patricia Clarkson, who seems to be everyone's favourite character from this. Yeah, well, I think it's the power couple of Patricia Clarkson and Bruno Gantz. Yeah. Because she is uh, maybe the most conservative out of everyone in the room. I I think think she's she's... the most, like, tells it how it is. Yeah. And she's not trying to tread... A lot of people seem to be trying trying to sort of tread carefully around each other, and she's not having any of that. She's just going for it. But I think she's, she's... slightly further away from realist yeah she is I think so. like um a bit more extravagant in her opinion um but actually makes her a perfect couple for gottfried yeah who is this german new age spiritual healer type mm. and uh he's just as uh cliche as he sounds and she constantly tells him how embarrassing he is yeah and that this is the last night they'll spend together <laughs> <laughs> this is the last supper yeah yeah and then Cherry Jones and Emily Mortimer. So Emily yeah. Mortimer is pregnant with triplets. Yeah. And Cherry, Dr- Cherry Jones is a... She's, she's like a lecturer. Of um, like women's studies. Yeah, it's yeah. actually, I think, inspired casting from season two of Transparent as okay. well, where she's a poetry lecturer and she's got this um, kind of later life natural intelligence and she speaks right. she we we commented before about how nice her voice is yeah that you could really just you can see her as a great lecturer because yeah. she's just got such a calming authority to her um and i think in their story it's you've got emily mortimer because she's pregnant she's got she's well newly pregnant and she's not getting a lot of sense of commitment from her so she's getting a bit more jumped up and a bit more anxiety mm. And gradually with Cherry Jones' character, you see that natural coolness start to yeah. get picked away. Uh, I saw Cherry Jones in a hallway of a hotel this mm. week. She said, how are you doing? Ooh. Oh, in her, in her smooth voice. Oh, she's very cool. Um, and then we have uh, Killian Murphy. Killian or Cillian? Killian. Killian. He's a banker. Um, a Nka banker. Exactly, yeah, as he's constantly referred to. And he barges in, covered in sweat. Does a lot of coke in the bathroom yeah. and has a gun with him. Yes. Um, and is he the last one that we meet? He's the yeah. last one to arrive, yeah. yeah. Okay. And that gun is actually the first thing we see in the film. <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking about this, actually. There have been a few films at the festival that have a, a Chekhov's gun. Mm. And for those that don't know what a Chekhov's gun is, that's where a character will sort of trivially reveal that they own a gun or they have a gun. And that sends off a signal to the audience that, okay, well, eventually the a gun. gun's going to go off yeah, well, in so Act 3. This is the gun in the Winchester in Shaun of the Dead. Exactly, yeah. Um, but I think this kind of gets around that. Because it's the first <coughs> shot. <coughs> because it's the opening shot. The opening shot is Kristen Scott Thomas pointing a gun at someone. Mm. And then it cuts to black and goes back a certain amount of time. So I think it gets around that by just openly saying, yeah, we are going to fire a gun at someone. Yeah. Um, but you're not... It's not like you're spending the whole film going, oh, who's it going to be? Because you're just so wrapped up and enjoying the dialogue that you almost don't care who gets shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like that. It starts with the end of, was it the most recent season of Walking Dead or the one before that? Where you kind of see the death, but from the point of view of the victim. Yeah. So, so you, you don't, don't actually know who it is. Know who it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, this, is this the first time we brought up The Walking Dead? <laughs> and in a podcast about Sally Potter's The Party. <laughs> Hey, well, I well we know that Daniel Day Lewis watches the Vikings because of this show. Right. Who's to say Sally Potter doesn't, doesn't watch, watch the Walking AMC's Dead? AMC's The Walking Dead. Yeah, sure. And who's to say The Walking Dead did not inspire the opening? I think we know now it did. 
um but the yeah the party is really good and it's it's really funny i i think people might get bogged down in the the metaphor and allegory of politics with it that's the thing it is an out and out comedy yeah um it's at times gross out comedy it's um you know harold pinteresque acerbic dialogue heavy comedy um it's even slapstick at moments mm. um but it isn't it isn't ashamed of that. It isn't trying to hide its comedy through its political message. It's just going for comedy. Yeah, and I think um, there's a lot of really interesting craft on the show. It looks great. Uh, they, Have we mentioned they, it's black and white yet? Yeah, no, we haven't. Well, uh, well, actually, because I was I was going to talk about very briefly about the costume. I think mm-hmm. if I had time to go through and pause and analyze this film, yeah, you could have a lot of fun looking at the costume. Like Patricia Clarkson is this jet black, thin, shapely yeah. dress, and then you've got Bruno Gantz's kind of his weird like, sort of waistcoat waistcoat thing. Yeah, yeah, but he's like white and with shades mm. of grey. And I think you can definitely read a lot into people's political leanings by looking at the colours of their yeah. costume as well, um, or what they would like to be perceived as anyway. Yeah, but if if you do think, oh, I don't fancy a heavy political film, this really isn't that. No. This is just a comedy, a good short comedy. Yeah, and I did um, I did mention before the interview um, to you that I think, although it is obviously the left that this is about, in the same way that Snowpiercer can be viewed from a left or right perspective, yeah. it's not like you have to be. Yeah. Like, um, a left-wing supporter to be on the side of the party. Like, it's it's about fracturing within belief systems. Rather yeah, exactly. Than... And it's important that they don't name the party she's mm. part of, even though it's kind of obvious. If yeah, you, but Sam, so, so like, they don't name the party, but the film. <laughs> What's the film called? The film's called The Party as well. It's clever. It's clever. It's clever. Yeah. yeah. It is clever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's uh, let's talk to Sally Potter. Yeah, this is Sally Potter and Bruno Gans. Uh, Sally Potter and Bruno Gans, thank you for joining us. So Sally, so we're here to talk about the party. So the film is kind of this sort of very dialogue-heavy, set in one location chamber piece. When you were making it, were you kind of concerned that it might just look like a sort of a filmed play? So were you constantly thinking about how to make it cinematic with those restraints? I was not in the least concerned okay. because I thought of it as film, pure right. film, yeah. naked cinema, back to bare bones, go deep, you don't have to go wide, you don't have to have loads of locations and special effects in order to entertain people mm. and engage people and grip people. Um, and these characters are not just talking either, they're also moving mm. and expressing things with their body and with each other. Um, in, in ways that are really about many of the great universal dramatic themes of betrayal and love and ideals and disillusion and, and so on. Yeah. So it is a cinema of ideas and they do talk, but it's done in the way that only film can manage. Right. Close-ups, intimacy, a probing, searching camera that goes, can read thought. Yeah, and the whole, that you mentioned there, like, you know, barebone cinema. Is that the reason for the black and white as well to to strip everything back? Yeah, back to the skeleton. Right. <laughs> uh, no, nothing redundant. No fat. Yeah. Something essential. Nowhere to hide. So it's very risky and very exposing mm. way of working, um, which suits working with these incredible actors who can handle that kind of exposure and nuance. And uh, Bruno, then, how was it having that kind of exposure on you? 
on the set during the film? Well, it's not very often that, but it reminded me somehow uh, my <clears throat> theater life. Yeah. But just in the beginning, then I knew, then I understood what it was because in, you're in front of a camera, and it's film, and uh, with a bunch or group of actors of that quality. I mean, um, that was the pleasure, and the lady. <laughs> Um, so you play uh, Gottfried in the film. Can you tell us a bit about that character and what your first thoughts of him were when you read the script? Funny. <laughs> and German. <laughs> not, and not a Nazi this time, which was a pleasure too. <laughs> um, so in terms of the script then and the rehearsals, was there a kind of workshopping process where you kind of changed the script to suit the actor or was the script kind of locked in before the casting happened? I went um, to meet each actor individually. Right. I went to Zurich and, mm. and we worked for a day or two together and I did that process with each actor wherever they were or they came to me in London. And I think it's a way of preparing deeply so that any areas of uncertainty or weakness in the script, I can go away and revise and work so that the, the part fits the actor like a glove, like mm -hmm. it's tailor-made like nobody else could play that role, should be the, the aim. Um, and also to expose any weaknesses mm -hmm. well before we get arrive on the set so that they can be dealt with. Um, but the, it wasn't workshopped, no. Okay. It was, I workshopped it in my imagination, yeah. let's say, alone in a room. Um, but then we, of course, then all met together and read through it and talked about stuff and prepared yeah. and talked about clothes and did the look. But it was never rehearsed, okay, now you're going to sit there and do it this way or that yeah. way. That's the freedom of the moment that has to be anchored in a lot of deep preparation. Okay. Um, so the film balances comedy and drama really well. Can you talk about the balance there? Like, we were like, making it not, not too outwardly comedic or anything like that? Well... Yeah. Comedy and tragedy belong yeah. to each other, as we know. There's always something very, very melancholic about comedy, and there's always um, something funny about tragedy, a, a kind of ridiculousness. So it was exploring that precipice, really, right. that line between the two. Um, Bruno, the same question for you in terms of your performance. Like, how, yeah, how big did you go? When uh, reading the script, uh, it was a lot, much of a comedy. And then working with the actors the one week before we started to shoot, I, I was aware that they, would, they had another tendency. They went into it and I thought it might be because um, <clears throat> the National Health Service is <laughs> something serious in this country yeah. and that's why they <clears throat> tried to get into it and it got less comedy and more, more how to say, substantial. Mm. And, um, which uh, well, I think that was when I see now the result I think that was a good thing Okay, so Sally you've mentioned in a few interviews before that you wrote the film before the 2015 election um, and watching it you know a group of kind of left, left wing minded thinkers squabbling is this film born out of a kind of dissatisfaction with the left? Ah oh, um 
I am a person of the left. Right. This is this is my lineage. Yeah. And I have great love, compassion and admiration for people who put themselves out on a limb and take political risks for an ideal. But I also wanted to have, take a kind of savage look, if you like, at the disappointments and the hypocrisies that infect the left as well as the right. If we're going to move forward, mm. if things are going to get better, if things are going to get more equal, more loving, more the way they need to be for the whole of humanity, we have to also take a very critical look at ourselves. Mm. Um, so since you wrote the film and now that it's come out, a lot has changed in like British politics and the left perhaps feels more unified now? Do you think that slightly changes the way people will view the film? Well, the themes in the film are universal. They don't right. date specifically sure. okay. to this moment. Okay, I wrote it in a moment, yeah. but I deliberately removed dates, names, uh, a lot of specific things to make sure that it did have universal application. Um, but I think that the left here is in much better shape Mm -hmm. Because people are speaking the truth. People are daring to say what they really believe. Jeremy Corbyn says what he really yeah. believes. Um, the question is how to achieve political power and make policies that are going to affect most people's lives uh, for the better. Mm. Um, and that's a whole argument about democracy that threads its way yeah. through this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. These are people struggling with, well, what do I really believe, and how is that really going to make a difference, and so on. Um, but they're tripped up by. Mm the limitations of what they can do in their own lives, in their relationships, in the here and now. Okay. Um, there is a line in the film where um, I, th I think it's Patricia calls Gottfried a fascist, which to me... Nazi. A Nazi, which to me was Nazi. a kind of... Uh, always Nazi. <laughs> that, was that a reference to, to Downfall, like a sort of a wink, or was that just no, coincidence? I don't think so. That's what people say about yeah. Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's teasing him yeah. for a start, and what German, I know a lot of Germans, including right. some German therapists, <laughs> but there's a tendency in German culture to a certain kind of heaviness and guilt, and one of the ways to, to, to assist other Germans sometimes through that is a kind of heavy teasing. Right. Um, so the relationship between the character of April and the character of Gottfried, this apparent state of, of, of light war, you know, by, has changed by yeah. the end of this 71 minutes. And uh, as April says, you know, relatively speaking, our relationship is remarkably healthy. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned that it's nice not to play a Nazi. 
Um, how has your career changed after downfall? Like, did it have as big as an effect on your career as some people think it did? Well, I think uh, I got more known, mm -hmm. maybe worldwide, and uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it opened some doors, yeah. and uh, but it had, well, I had um, some years to to get away from that yeah. film because it was a really heavy thing and uh, but um, now it's one of the films I did it has no influence right. anymore okay. on my, even I don't think even in terms of career and being known and all this I don't it's uh, it's it's one of the films yeah but okay. it's gone it's um, it's past actors tend to get associated with one, with one yeah, role as if sure. they haven't got other qualities but for me the quality of Bruno ever since I saw Wings of Desire, mm. is something very tender and very angelic. And that was some of the quality that I was hoping would come through the character of Gottfried with his deep beliefs about healing mm. and so on. And I, I think it does. He's the only character in the film who is really nice to everybody yeah, by the end. Absolutely. Uh, and there, there is, you know, we had a lot of fun in the cutting room looking at, at lots of different takes of, uh, of Bruno mm. because when he's looking, let's say, at Bill, in his struggles, there's this really beautiful sort of quality of love in his yeah. eyes and understanding for somebody. Similarly, Killian's character at the end, you know, he's being so yeah. sweet to him. And it's an ironic nod to the difficulties that sometimes men have about right. being sweet okay. to each other. But um, Bruno, as an actor, was, was, was also giving real energy to the scene Okay. Sometimes a bit too much. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> Being sweet. No, it's sweet, you're no. <laughs> nice you know, guy. Sweetness is, is underrated. It's love. Yeah. It's yeah. not sugary sweet. I agree, but sometimes yeah. it's, it, it looks quite stupid. <laughs> the way he is, uh, he's using language, and but in, in a good way. It's a, well, that's, you know, healer and... Uh, <laughs> This kind of I I know some of these people in Germany and <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy with them. It's not easy because there can be some rigidities in the in the area of kind of new age thinking about alternative medicine. But there is also a lot that's very sort of brave and true yes. and holistic yeah. and so on. And I think that that willingness to be, if you like, the wise fool. To, yeah. is, mm. is a, it's, it's an incredibly important aspect of the character. Okay. Um, you mentioned just then the film's uh, runtime, 71 minutes, yeah. which a lot of people have been talking about, the fact yeah. that it's so short. Is yeah. there a longer version of the film out there that just didn't make it? Or? Well, there's stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, right. as always should yeah. be the case. Um, nobody has actually complained to me about the length. No. Mostly, it's been appreciation. Absolutely. Sort yeah. of, thank God, yeah. you know, that we're not <laughs> sitting here for three hours wishing it was an hour shorter or, yeah. or whatever. It has turned out slightly shorter than I expected. Right, okay. But I think that's okay. It's just yeah. the length that needs to be. And time is very subjective. Mm. Some people at the initial screenings, when, it, when they didn't know how long right. it was, came out and said, how long was that? Two hours or was it an hour? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it, it's just... The right length, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think for a comedy as well, it needs to be like really tight and sharp. Sharp yeah. and fast. Yeah. Uh, so, Bruno, we're, we're going to see you in um, the house that Jack built soon. Yes. What can you tell us about that so far? Anything? Are you allowed to? 
I love to work with uh, Lars and these people there. And I like the script mm. a lot. But it's clear it's a Lars von Trier film that is quite a cruel thing. Mm. It's the story of a um, serial killer. I'm the good guy. That's <laughs> <laughs> <As> always. <laughs> Played by Matt Dillon. It has to be an American, you know. That. <laughs> and uh, I, I just coming from Copenhagen because we had some work on voice, and uh, I saw the film. So that's going to be a very interesting thing. Okay. It's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> and, uh, okay, you will see. Yeah. And uh, Sally, uh, do you have anything lined up once this is all done? I have uh, two scripts, one of which okay. is complete and the other which is mm, needs some rewriting, let's okay. say. Um, I never, I usually work on two things and I never quite know which thing is going to pull ahead mm. um, first, but uh, we'll see. Okay, excellent. Very good, Sally Potter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So there we go. That was Sally Potter and Bruno Gans. Very entertaining, very fun, um, very open about the film. But I do enjoy the fact that he, one of the first things he says is that um, it was nice not to play a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Has he done, has he done multiple Nazis? Or is it just that, do you think uh, Downfall I is think just... I think Downfall is just really cast a big shadow over his career. Yeah. For better or for worse. And he does get to clarify in the film as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, as you heard, they said that that wasn't really, a, that wasn't a reference to Downfall, but... <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so, uh, as we said, we've got actually got another interview for you. Uh, that is with Thomas Alfredson, the director of The Snowman. Uh, and as I said before, he directed Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which went on to win loads of BAFTAs, assembled an amazing cast for that. Tinker Tailor has kind of allowed him again to assemble a pretty amazing cast for The Snowman. So we've got Michael Fassbender, Rebecca Ferguson, Val Kilmer, J.K. Simmons, Toby Jones... Uh, it's it's a great cast, and I sat down to talk to him about the snowman. Leila Olsen and Arvid Stope are having an affair, and that's the last thing my father was investigating before he got killed. You broke into Vettlesen's house because you were afraid I'd find out this was personal and take you off the case. Vettlesen was his pimp, and they were both in Bergen when the murder started. I know how much you want this, but you can't force the pieces to fit. Do you actually think he killed them? I don't know. I don't think either of us do for sure. Maybe this will bring your balls back. Right. Uh, so we are delighted to welcome Thomas Alfredson, director of The Snowman, onto the Curzon Film Podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Thomas, uh, this book, The Snowman, Joe Nesbo's book, it was released 10 years ago now, and it's been quite a journey getting the snowman to the big screen. Uh, when, when were you first involved in this project? I was approached three and a half, uh, three and a half years ago, uh, spring, uh, and uh, originally it was uh, Martin Scorsese working on it for a few years, I think. So it's, it's taken quite a while to get it, get it done. Mm. And uh, what how much development had gone into it at that point? So were you given a full script or were you just given a rough plan? No, there was, there was a script, but they, they did develop it for, uh, to be set in America. So it was set okay. in Chicago, 
which I thought was, you know, it was a, um, in many ways, it was a good script, but but it was um, uh, weird for me to to do something set in Chicago that was originally uh, uh, set uh, in, in my neighborhood. Mm. So uh, I thought, it, I I know about. Uh, Scandinavia and snow and silence and uh, and those things. So I thought that, that now that's a really important thing to uh, because it, it's it's almost like a character of its own the mm. the settings. So uh, so that was one of my my first demands. And uh, had you had a relationship with the text beforehand, or were you discovering it when you were sent the script as well? Uh, I didn't know. Uh, I I hadn't read it. Uh, before that, but um, uh, I, I'm not uh, particularly uh, uh, reading uh, crime stuff, uh, so so it was quite new to me the whole thing. Okay, um, and so this this character at the center of the snowman and this whole series that Joe Nesbo has written, uh, Harry Hole uh, or Hola. In Norwegian, you would say Harry Hole. Harry Hula. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But in our film, we say Harry Hole. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Harry Hola is played by Michael Fassbender. And I understand uh, for yourself, it's been a bit of a wait for you to be working with him. I read that there were some plans for him to perhaps be in the cast of Tinker Taylor. Or is there no truth to that? Yeah, that's that's true. I met him for, as you do, you know, mm. when, when you're putting together a, a cast, you meet a lot of actors and... and uh, uh, he, uh, I met him for a part in in that uh, for that film, but uh, it didn't work out that time. Mm. But uh, I, I'm very grateful he he wanted and could participate in this. Mm. And uh, his his character Harry's his investigations they there's always a long strain of violence, uh, particularly against women. That uh, Joe Nesbo has now himself said that uh, he thinks even he went a bit too far with. And how did in this book or no, generally? no, just in general, in okay. in a few of the uh, torture scenes that have appeared in in some of the other um, books in the series, um, I wonder for you, how did the f- fact that you would have to be visualizing that violence on screen change the adaptation of it from the source book to how you would then represent it? It's always a tricky thing uh, to because. There's quite a few people that that gets killed in this film, and you have to, you cannot wear the audience out the first thing you do. Uh, and I I always believe that that the strongest images are created in the audience's minds. So as a filmmaker, you you should give the uh, a certain amount of of clues and and uh, or uh, information. Uh, but that the the last the last bit the audience ha- has to do themselves and and it's a bit like striptease you you cannot start with with being too naked the first thing mm. you you do when you enter the stage so so it's about how to how to to uh, distribute that during two two hours and and keep it interesting and and horrific and. Uh, and and uh, as I said, to 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 give the the audience the last piece themselves. Mm-hmm. And how much did you stick to that original text 
because I think you have there are quite a number of changes that have been made to it and I understand that um, Michael Fassbender read the other books in the series but not this one to keep it fresh was that the feeling um, between a lot of the cast and yourself as well that you wanted to keep this a fresh story even perhaps for people that had read The Snowman mm-hmm. they might be getting something different now you know ma- making um, a film from from a book is is tricky it's it's uh in this case, it's five or six hundred pages. Uh, it just cannot be fit into two hours uh, uh, of a film. You you need to make some choices, and you need to to make things a bit s- simpler here and there, and you need to emphasize cer- certain things. So there's of course hundreds of ways to to make a film out of a book, but. <clears throat> uh, I it, it needs to be autonomous. A film needs to be autonomous. I can't. You, you can't do a film uh, that the audience ha- needs to to read a book to to fully um, experience it. It it needs to be standing on its own legs. And and uh, uh, I I try to to read read the the book before I start uh, but then put it away you know to to give it uh, its its own life and and the book is great and uh, but and it wouldn't change if I it's still a a, a great book if I would make a crappy movie (laughs) it'll be it it wouldn't hurt the book you know Mm. that, that that's already done so making a copy is not something that that would be interesting it it uh, i i need to bring something else to it or 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 to present some kind of angle mm. Mm. um and i just want to talk about the, the look of the film so on your last two features you were lucky enough to have uh Hoyte van Hoytema, mm-hmm. um as the cinematographer and since then has perhaps become maybe one of the most in demand cinematographers for big budget films in the world um now did you try getting him on for this project? Uh, I uh, it was never an option because he he was uh, uh, he was I think doing the the Bond film at the okay. moment. So uh, so there was never uh, the, the there was never an opportunity to to even offering it to mm. him. So but. Uh, uh, on, on this film, Dion Bibi has done the cinematography, and and uh, w- what a fantastic! Yeah, it, uh, it's frighteningly cold. <laughs> yeah, he he's done a great great work, and I'm I'm very happy to be to have been working with him. Mm. I think that might be a, a trait of uh, maybe the last few films for yours for actors going into it. They know they're going to get cold. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Now, another member of the technical team uh, is Thelma Shoemaker, who I imagine is a remainder on from when Scorsese was attached to the project. Is that right? Not really. Oh, right. Uh, but uh, we, we, uh, she came on. Uh, we, we've done several cuts, and the, the last round she came on because she was available and she wanted to do it, and that, that was uh, uh, fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Can I ask what it's like working with her? Because she, I think she's a bit of a legend. 
she is a legend, and she's you know one, one of the the greatest storytellers of of, of film history, and uh, uh, she's a just a, a lovely person uh, and a a joy to work with because she she sees stuff I don't see, mm. which is exactly what you need in a in a cutting room. Mm. Uh, it, it's been a, a, a fantastic experience. Mm. Um, and I don't know how much truth there is in this, but uh, you can always always want to check the IMDb trivia section before an interview. Uh, but I suggest that Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead um, perhaps put some music towards this film that wasn't used. Is there any truth in that? That was the previous film. Oh right. Um, uh, we 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 uh, we did an experiment with Radiohead. Did some tracks for, oh, for wow. Tinker Taylor, Taylor. But then the, the, for scheduling reasons, uh, they needed to go on tour and uh, and it didn't happen really. So, uh, but uh, yeah, there were some, some sessions there. That, oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to hear them one day as yeah, a big yeah. Radiohead fan. Mm-hmm. Um, right, uh, so often when directors have had a large break between films, uh, there might be a few things boiling away and then we might get a few things come out quickly. Uh, are we going to be looking at another six-year break for the next Alfredson film? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do next, really. I, I have I haven't decided. So I'm quite exhausted by this one now. So uh, it was finalized just a, a couple of weeks ago. So it's it's uh, I I don't have perspectives on it. Okay. Um, yeah. But maybe it's safe to say it will involve a lot of winter coats and gloves. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. There we are. So that's Thomas Alfredson talking about The Snowman. Um, Sam hasn't had the chance to watch it yet, so we're unable to really review it. Um, But if you have read Joe Nesbo's book, uh, then you know it's a pretty grisly time uh, if you're up for a pretty ice-cold thriller. Sorry. All right. but as we said, we, we don't have a huge amount of time this week, uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed those interviews. Yeah. Uh, we are off to start another day of uh, interviews and film watching. What a tough life we lead. It is tough. It's hard. Yeah. We're recording in a very weird room as well. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them what it is. Okay. All right. Until next time, it's goodbye from Sam. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>